0: Good morning, church. Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, unseemly seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth. Rejoyeth not in iniquity, or rejoiceth in the truth, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity.
1: Let's turn to 1 Timothy, please, chapter 1. I'd just like to read from this passage, verses 3 through 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The message today I've entitled, How Love Can Freely Flow From Us, Through Us, to Others. And we'll see this is really the heart of the mission of Timothy in going to Ephesus and serve the Lord there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. And please read verse 5 together with me. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith, unfeigned. So last week we spoke about Paul giving Timothy three challenges, three encouragements to go to Ephesus. And we say it was, it was a, a hot water situation. It was a difficult situation what was going on in the church of Ephesus. But Paul wanted Timothy to go there and stay there. And Paul basically is telling Timothy, Timothy, you've been prepared for this? You've served faithfully, and you're ready for this. This is your time to shine in this situation that's difficult. And Paul says, I need you to stay there, and here's how you could survive there. Here's how you could stand in Ephesus against some very poisonous false teachings that had taken deep root in the church of Ephesus. And Paul basically says, Timothy the reason I'm challenging you to do this is because of love. My love for you, my love for the church, your love, the love of Christ, it's all about love. So I want us to get especially into verse 5 today, and I hope that when we leave this service today, you will be able to say I know what 1 Timothy chapter 3 or chapter 1 verse 5 says. That's my goal. I hope I can I can meet that goal today. Let's pray. So, Father, thank You so much for Your Word, its simplicity, clarity, but yet its depth and its breadth and its profound meanings as well, Lord. And thank You, dear God, for Timothy, a great and faithful young man of God, and as he's commanded here to be a good soldier of You, Lord Jesus, to stand up against these deceitful lies, these as it says, lies and hypocrisy, doctrines of demons that were leading men to have their faith overthrown and was causing people to be spiritual shipwrecks. Lord, and that's what's going on today. There are spiritual shipwrecks all around us because of the false doctrines and teachings being taught in churches, in schools, And wherever, Lord, but we pray that you'll help us to stand in love and to serve in love and to speak in love and to minister in love for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can we freely love and how can love freely flow from us? So I want to give you two quick illustrations. The first is Debbie and I went to Lake Tahoe in June. Her brother was able to buy a house there. And Lake Tahoe, and I didn't realize, but Lake Tahoe is, it's a, it's a, it's a mountain. It's on top of a mountain. It's like a mile up. And, and yet, it's a beautiful lake. And that around Lake Tahoe, there are many, many small lakes. So, so this here, the, the map I have, this is the southern part of Lake Tahoe. It goes up. So this is South Lake Tahoe, about where her brother lives. And then these, you see these other lakes. There's this many, many of them. Many smaller lakes, and, and so these smaller lakes kind of feed into the larger lake, Lake Tahoe. And so we went to Emerald Bay, and I'm going to show you a picture of it, but I'm going to show you a picture of this right here. It's called Emerald Bay, and it's one of the most scenic parts of Lake Tahoe. If you ever go there, you'll probably go to Emerald Bay. So that's Emerald Bay, and that's Debbie's brother and my daughter, and Debbie and I with also Debbie's niece, and so we went to Emerald Bay, and, and so here's this a little kind of a closer shot of it, as you see Emerald Bay there, and the, the smaller lakes, and, and this is another lake that we saw. I'm going to t- tell you about this Fallen Leaf Lake, and I'm going to tell you about this lake, I think, in, in just a second here, because basically when we went to Emerald Bay, and my daughter and I, we were standing... Along the highway and Emerald Bay was down there. Do you see the little waterfall behind us? There was a waterfall that was coming down the mountain and it was going into Lake Tahoe So I was like hey, where's that water coming from? So well, we walked up about maybe about 45 minute hike It wasn't a bad hike. It was a beautiful hike and we found this little little lake and it's a feeder lake It's called Eagle Lake And so it's one of the feeder lakes into Lake Tahoe. And there are many of them. This is one of them. Another day, we took a bike ride. And we were Debbie and I were in a boat, actually, on Lake Tahoe. But the other picture is Debbie and our our daughter Rachel and our niece. And we were at this other lake, Finger Lake, which is just another lake around Lake Tahoe. So, as I said, there's that big lake, Tahoe. And... Many, I don't know how many, but many of these feeder lakes all around it. So here's the illustration. This church is like Lake Tahoe. And you're a feeder lake. And love is to flow through you into the church. Your home is Lake Tahoe. And you're a feeder lake. And love is to flow through you into your what? your home. Your job, your workplace is Lake Tahoe. And you are to be a feeder lake of love into that larger gathering. So you can apply this to many ways. But what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, the reason I'm giving you this commandment to go to Ephesus and stay there is love. And then he tells Timothy, here's how love can flow through you. But I want to give you one other illustration, very dear to my heart, sewer lines <laughs> and snakes. You know what a snake is, right? This is a big snake that when you get a backup in your sewer line, and I am well experienced now, sad to say, how many, how many of you have ever had your sewer line backed up and you needed to call the plumber to snake it out? Okay. yep. Yeah, okay. So, not a very happy experience. But I remember the first one of the first times this happened, and he put that snake in there, and he, you know it turns around, and then when it comes out, it pulls some of the stuff with it, and he, and guess what was on the end? It was roots. And he said, for another two hundred dollars, you know how like it's like ninety nine dollars to do that, and then, and then they get, and then they start getting you more of your money out of you, you know. So he said, uh, I could show you the inside of your sewer line and you'll see what, the, we can see more clearly what the problem is. And so I was kind of interested because I, I hadn't ever seen inside a sewer line and it looked like, it's looked like a really cool TV show inside my sewer line. That was the name of the TV show. So, uh, anyway, he put this little camera down in there and sure enough there was roots and everything. I was like, oh, great. And so he said, for (laughs) $15,000, you know, I was like, no, later on, later on. So anyway, I have to give regular maintenance to my sewer lines to keep them flowing. Because you could have a beautiful house on the outside, but if the sewer line's backed up, (laughs) you ain't using that house. You can't even live in a house if the sewer line is no good. You'll have to go live somewhere else until they repair it. So in that way, love is flowing through us. But for many of us, love is clogged up. There's roots. Roots of sin, roots of pride, roots of jealousy, roots of worldliness, roots of lust. And when the roots get in there and we become self-centered, we can't love the way God has called us to love. Because love, the two words of love really is, is sacrifice and unconditional. Love is sacrificial, unconditional giving without anticipation of return. So this isn't natural to us. This is agape. This is divine. This is Jesus Christ and us kind of love we're talking about. If this love is to flow freely, we need Jesus Christ living fully in us so that we can love. So here's the command. When Paul says this now in verse 5, he says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Now, it could mean that Paul is referring to The Mosaic Law as the commandment given by God to everyone and the ultimate goal of the Mosaic Law, the ultimate goal of the law is that we love, that we love God and we love our neighbor as ourself. But I believe actually that when Paul says the end of the commandment, he's not talking about the Mosaic Law commandment. He's talking about this specific charge he's giving to Timothy to stay in Ephesus and do ministry there. So, I read it this way. The reason, Timothy, I'm giving you this command to abide in Ephesus and to look at the the word in verse 3. And he says, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's actually the same word as commandment in the original language. So that word charge in verse 3, he says, charge them that they teach no other doctrine and don't get addicted to these false teachings out there. The end of what I'm telling you, Timothy, the main purpose of my challenging you this and the core of your command, central to your mission as a soldier of Jesus Christ, is to love and let love flow through you. And let me just also... uh, continue on this because to me it's interesting because honestly when I first read this in verse five where it says the end of the commandment is charity I just thought he was talking about the Mosaic law that the end of God's law because this is true the end of God's law is for us to love but I don't believe again that's what Paul is saying here he's saying that the the purpose the end means the purpose or the goal of why I'm charging you here is love and the reason I say that. Number one is because that word charge and commandment is actually the same word in, in the original language. And then how Paul... This, if you follow this through in Timothy, I won't look up every scripture with you, but I want you to go to the end of 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 6. And he actually uses this word throughout the book of 1 Timothy, of charging Timothy. And so he does it at the beginning. I charge you. And then notice how he even concludes the book in Verse 13. First Timothy chapter six, verse 13, he says, "I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ witnessed a good confession. What was the confession of Jesus Christ? Love, I give you this charge, Timothy, and that you keep this commandment without spot until the appearing of Jesus Christ." And look, please as well. In First Timothy chapter six, go down to verse 17. And even says then, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So what's the motive of that charge? What's the motive of everything Timothy was to charge people? It was what? Love. It's loving for me to say to you, don't trust your riches. Your riches are going to fail you somewhere along the way. They're not going to ultimately be the ultimate point of satisfaction of life. And I say that in love to you. So, as 1 Timothy begins, in a sense, 1 Timothy ends. And a lot of it is related to this false doctrine that had crept into the church. And you know what's an amazing thing? How, how you know how blessed the, the church at Ephesus was? Who started the church? The Apostle Paul. Now, who's, who's, who's trying to fix situation there? I don't call Timothy a pastor, he's more like an ambassador or a, a, a mission, an emissary of the Apostle Paul to the church to really fix certain doctrinal problems, but, but they had the blessing of Timothy, this great young man. And then who, who lived in his later years, I don't exactly know when, he, he moved into Ephesus, but then he wrote three little epistles and probably this church received those letters. What apostle am I talking about? John. And guess who John was to care for in his life, commissioned by Jesus Christ? Who was John caring for? Mary. Guess who may have been in this church of Ephesus? Mary, maybe. And I find it interesting, still, women are commanded not to teach. <laughs> we'll get to that point. but I, I thought, whoa, that's interesting. I don't know how that would relate to Mary, but I know that Mary's a woman and she wasn't to take authority over the man. But So I found that interesting. And what's First John all about? What's the theme of First John? They call John the Apostle of love. And so John's message to this church is similar to, to this. It's love. So here, this church of Ephesus was singularly blessed. I don't know of a New Testament church that has the book of Ephesians written to it. In a sense, two books of Timothy written to it. Then we can add three more of of John written to it. And then when John wrote the book of Revelation, he writes to the church of Ephesus again. And what had they left? Their first love. Isn't that something? So this is so vital for us. We are to have love flow through us in our church. I wonder what people feel when they come to our church. I want them to feel the love of Christ. I really do. I want them to know the love of Christ. I want them to know that through me. But we're all weak vessels. We all have some level of clogged pipes in our lives. But here's how we can let love flow freely. And three simple things, as Paul charges Timothy, to love in Ephesus and to be a channel of the love of Christ. The first thing is, Timothy, love will flow through you when you have a heart that is pure. A heart that is cleansed from sin. Love flows from a cleaned heart, from a pure heart. So he says, now the goal of this charge I'm giving to you is love. And that love will flow out. He says, out of a. Okay? So, love is not natural to us. (laughs) We're sinners. But love will flow out of a what? A pure heart. So, is your heart cleansed from sin? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior so that you know you're saved and on your way to heaven through Christ and Him alone? Has He forgiven you of your sin? Is it important that we have a pure heart? Absolutely. Because, look at this verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. What does Paul tell Timothy? He says, Flee youthful lusts. The very thing that will clog your heart. Flee those things, but follow... Follow the things that will be like a snake to your soul. That will clean out the sin. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that do what? What does it say? With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Our prayers will be hindered if we don't have a pure heart. Is sin clogging your heart? Like the roots clog my sewer line. I would love our hearts to be like that those beautiful streams I saw in Lake Tahoe that's, that flowed so freely, you know, out of those feeder lakes, down the mountains, so beautiful. Is there anything so beautiful? Or well, maybe there are other things just as beautiful, but isn't it beautiful to hear the sound of, of that running water down the down a, a mountain stream into a bigger lake? And just to see that and behold that, it is a beautiful thing. And so it is a beautiful thing when love flows out of a pure heart. And those are the prayers as well, I believe, that reach God. What did Jesus teach us? Jesus put a woe upon the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who He said may clean the outside of the cup, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Now, I know you ladies when you clean your pots, if you don't throw them in the dishwasher, but if you hand clean them in the sink, you're not just going to clean the outside of it, but you'll clean the inside as well as the outside. Now, your husband probably only cleans the inside and leaves the outside, but you ladies are much more thorough in your cleaning than we men. Amen? I was trying to help you out, ladies. Okay. you <laughs> All right. I tried. I, I tried. Again. But Jesus said, clean the inside. Or else you'll just be a hypocrite. You'll be full of sin on the inside. It's the inside that matters. So how do we clean that inside of our hearts? We need cleansing by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. First John 1 John seven: The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is it, how does that work? How does it work that the blood of Christ cleanses us of sin? That's mysterious. We're talking something spiritual how Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross 2,000 years ago, and yet, when we were saved and asked the Lord to save us, the blood He shed on the cross forgave us our sin, past, present, future. And now, as we live the Christian life, if we commit a particular sin, we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the basis of that cleansing is still and always will be the blood of Jesus Christ. How does that work? Well, it works simply this way. And you understand this. What's the penalty of my sin? Death. So, sin's payment is death. Jesus Christ died. And the absolute evidence of that death was the pouring out Of the very life of His flesh. What is the life of the flesh? Blood. Jesus gave His life on the cross. He died for our sins. He paid the full price as we sing. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. And so, because He shed His blood and poured out His life, we're forgiven because of the payment He made for us. I deserve that death. So the transaction is, He took it in my place. I deserve to die, but He shed His blood, poured out His life, died in my place, so I don't have to die or bear the payment or penalty of that sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed. And when it even says, we're cleansed from all unrighteousness and we'll talk about our conscience later but hebrews 9:14 one of my favorite verses about the blood of christ where it says he will purge our conscience in other words we don't have to when we're cleansed by the blood of jesus we don't have to walk around with those guilt feelings he cleanses our conscience look in titus chapter 2 verse 14 please just go through Timothy, 2 Timothy, right after Tim, 2 Timothy is Titus. Of course, 1 Timothy and Titus have long been called the pastoral epistles because they are written to men in local churches uh, written to, uh, and trying to work through these similar problems. And both Titus and Timothy did have similar problems that Paul writes about. But in in Titus chapter 2, look at verse 14, please. Can you find that verse and read it with me? It says that Jesus Christ, what did He do for us in verse 14? He gave Himself so that He might, what? Redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I love that. I love when it says peculiar. Because... To this world, we are a bit peculiar. That's not really what the King James word, what the actual language word means, but the the King James says peculiar. It's the idea really that we are a purchased and special possession of God Himself by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been purchased by God. We are His. He paid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ, and He cleanses us by His blood. And you know, when you know Jesus paid this price, an infinite price, the blood of God shed on the cross, when you know the price that was paid for you to be forgiven, you'll love. If you think about it. If you think about it. If you realize that Jesus paid a price for you that you and I could never pay, but that we die and go to hell for all eternity? No matter what trial I'm going through now in this life, not as bad as hell. He paid that price with such love, even though He didn't deserve it. He never sinned. He didn't deserve to die according to law, but He died in love for us so that we might be forgiven so that we could have a heart purified the blood of Jesus. The second thing I want to say here, how can we have a heart cleansed is by the Word of Jesus Christ, by the Word of God. Isn't the Bible amazing? Aren't you glad we have the Bible? The Bible is miraculous. Did you know that? the bible came about we're studying we're learning about this in our institute i just want to say one quick thing about the bible and its inspiration you know that verse it's in 2nd timothy all scripture is given by inspiration of god only the scripture is said to be given by inspiration now that word inspiration is an interesting word now when we think of that word we might think of the writer and how when they wrote they felt inspired the English word somewhat puts the emphasis in our thinking on the writer and how he took in to write the Word of God. But the original language word is so beautiful, only time in the New Testament it's used, and it literally means God breathed. All Scripture is given by God's breath. So the emphasis of the verse isn't at all on the writer and how he felt... When he wrote, it's on the fact that God breathed out His Word and they wrote actually word for word what He led them to write. The Word of God. That's a loving grandmother back there. You hear that little crying baby? That's that's our little Armando. And Priscilla is bringing her grandchild to church so he'll know that's the right thing to do. You know, isn't that something? You bring your grandchild to church and you end up walking around with him. I didn't get anything out of church that day. Yeah, she, she, she's getting something out of it. She's bringing her grandchildren to church. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. So, praise God for the Bible. Jesus said in John fifteen three. Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken to you. Ephesians 5.26 That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. The Word of God is like the clear mountain spring coming down and cleaning and cleansing everything in its path. The Word of God has cleansing power as well as the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can purify your heart in all the world like the blood of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The second thing, how love can freely flow, not just when our heart is cleansed by His blood and His Word, but love freely flows when we have a conscience cleansed of guilt. A conscience cleansed from our guilt. That's what Paul says. The end of this charge, Timothy, that I'm giving to you is that you will love. But love will only come out of a pure heart. And, he says, he adds to this, and of a good conscience. So, what is a conscience? A conscience is the inner judge of your actions. It's the inner awareness you have of yourself that no one really knows. No one really knows you. Except you and God. And your conscience is what you know yourself to be with God. And it's the inner judge, the best way, one of the best ways I know how to really define a conscience. So when a conscience is made pure, and you have a clean heart and a good conscience, you'll have love to flow freely through you because when you feel guilt, For example, if you've come in to church even this week and you've done things, you've said things that you know are wrong and and you don't want anybody to know about it, you're going to come in here not with the freedom to let love flow through you, but you're going to come in here and kind of hide. And then love can't flow if your conscience isn't clean and isn't clear. Now, he says a good conscience... And we will see this in a moment, but a conscience is not always a perfect perfect or reliable guide to right and wrong. But a good conscience is a much better guide to what's right or wrong than some of the other consciences Paul even speaks about when he talks about a seared conscience or a defiled conscience. And there's different kinds of conscience that a person can have. But, so let's talk about a good conscience real quick. Number one, a good conscience is calibrated by the Holy Spirit in the Bible. When I say calibrated, a good conscience gets its sense of what's right and what's wrong, what's sinful and what's not from the Bible. God alone has the right to define sin. We don't define sin, God does. So if God says it's wrong... We shouldn't do it. If God says we should do it, do it. And there are sins of omission and sins of commission. And if we don't live according to what God says we ought to do, I believe we'll have a sense of guilt in our conscience. So our conscience should be calibrated by the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit in us is in us to convict us when we do, when we do wrong and to give us joy when we do right. So, a good conscience, secondly, is followed to do what is right. In other words, when he says, Timothy, love out of a good conscience, he's saying, Timothy, do the thing that you know in your heart based on the Holy Spirit living in you and the Bible telling you, do the thing that you know is right, and love will flow from you. Now, if you, let's say you have a good conscience, but you say, you know, I really, I need those uh, earbuds. And so you figure out a way to go into the store and to steal the earbuds. Are you going to have a good conscience? You're going to have a sense of guilty conscience. But now, let's say you say, wow, I feel terrible. Your conscience is working right, though. Your conscience, you stole the earbuds. So you say, man, I shouldn't have stolen them. I got to confess my sin to God. God, forgive me for stealing those earbuds. And then the Holy Spirit says to you, as you're confessing that sin, to do what with the earbuds? Go back to the store and and tell them you stole them and make that right with the store too, right? So you go back to the store and and then you have a good conscience. And then you don't steal anymore because you say that was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> that was really bad. I don't want to steal. I get all that guilt and then have to go through that. That's terrible. So that, that's how it's supposed to work. But what if you steal the earbuds and you feel guilt and you just push it down? You say, I don't care how I feel guilty. I'm going to live with that guilt because I want these earbuds more than the guilt the earbuds are worth more to me than than the guilt that I have. And so you say, not only am I, I, did I steal these earbuds, my friend needs earbuds because these earbuds are so cool, I'm going to go back and steal a pair of earbuds for him too. Okay. And then you start going into business selling earbuds that you steal. Okay. (laughs) I am not telling you what to do. Okay. This is not, but I'm telling you how to have a conscience that is described by Paul and go to 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. This is how to have a a conscience described in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. And he's talking about the false teachers in Ephesus that that Timothy was going to deal with. Because here's here's a very interesting thing. As Timothy lives out this love with a pure heart and a good conscience, he will mark himself as different from the false teachers. Because the false teachers were selfish... Not loving. And they had this kind of conscience as well. Like somebody who had stolen a whole bunch of earbuds and went into earbud business. 1 Timothy 4, he says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience, what? Seared with a hot iron. There's different ways one can look at that, but one commentary I, I have says, it's, it's as if Satan has branded his name on their body, and they are, they are doing the work of the devil when you sear your conscience and sin against it over and over and over again, you won't have a good conscience. So, a good conscience is when you follow it to do what is right. And the, th- the last thing I'll say about a conscience is, a good conscience will approve you when you do right. And it will accuse you when you do what's wrong. So that conscience is that internal instrument by which we judge ourselves. And we are to judge ourselves as Christians. We are to examine our lives. And we are to confess our sins every day. And ask God to work in our heart a righteous living, a holy life. We must have a conscience that is cleansed from guilt. But I, and I want to say this too. Because the Christian life is a high standard. It's a high standard. Who is our standard in the Christian life? Jesus. Now, who measures up to Jesus here? I didn't see one hand go up. We'd be afraid to say, oh, I'm as good as Jesus. Right? No. All all of us have sinned. So none of us measure up to that standard all the time. But here's the thing. As a Christian... You would think, if we have such a high standard that we can never meet, that we would just walk around feeling guilty. (laughs) And just say, oh, woe is me. I I can't can't be as good as Jesus. I, I wish I could be better and I'm not. And just feeling bad about ourselves. But that's not the way God wants us to live. God wants us to have the joy of the Lord because in God's sight... He looks at us as righteous as Jesus Christ Himself. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us for one, and number two, when we do something wrong, we can confess it and immediately be forgiven, freely and completely from it. So we we don't live with guilt. So I really want you to grab that and to have peace and joy and love flowing through you, and not live. I, God doesn't want you to live with guilt and a sense of shame. The third thing is to have a faith that is cleansed from hypocrisy. And here, we must take off the mask. When he says back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 5, that the end, the goal, and purpose of this charge I'm giving to you is that you will love Timothy, and that this love will flow out of a heart that is pure, out of a conscience that is good, and of a faith that is unfeigned. Literally, our word hypocrite is that word unfeigned. It's, you know, Our word hypocrite comes from the Greek language. That's the word. A hypocrite. Without hypocrisy though, it's without hypocrisy. A faith without hypocrisy. But a faith that is cleansed. Like the snake of God's love has come into our soul and cleaned out all the roots of hypocrisy. Now, some people say, I don't want to go to church because there's just a lot of hypocrites in church. And you know what? There was hypocrisy in the church of Ephesus. I just read you the verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. What does it say was going on in the church of Ephesus? What were they doing? Actually, that's what was happening in the church of Ephesus. People were speaking lies in hypocrisy. There was hypocrisy in the church, but Paul says we can't stand for that hypocrisy. There has to be unhypocritical faith. Timothy, stand in love and clear it out. The hypocrisy comes from the false teachers and from the the fakes and the frauds. And there will always be those in the church. Don't let a hypocrite keep you from coming to church. It might be a little hot in that church, Timothy. He's in hot water. Remember the hot water. But Paul wants him to be in the midst of these who are teaching these doctrines of demons and who loved money before anything else, it seems. Like the the prosperity gospel preachers of our day. So we must have a faith that is cleansed from hypocrisy. And again, you can't live out love if you have a mask on. Be yourself. A hypocrite is a pretender. A hypocrite is pretending to be something he or she is not. We have to be who we say we are. And we must live as we... We must appear as we truly are. A hypocrite has deceptive motives... A hypocrite is selfish, whereas one with an unhypocritical faith is sincere. That's a good word, a good synonym. Is sincere and genuine, without hypocrisy. First Peter chapter two verse one says, "Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, lay it aside. Take the mask off." We studied about wisdom in Proverbs and James chapter three. And verse 17 says one of the characteristics of wisdom is without hypocrisy. A truly wise person is without hypocrisy. He's real. He's genuine. Years ago, I met a, a gal on the street and I was witnessing to her. And she tried to beg some money off of me. You know, I, I need money for a bus fare. And, and I, I didn't give it to her, but I did give her a gospel track. And then she called me back a little while after that. And I didn't know who it was at first because I got on the phone and she somebody just started saying to me, "Are you for real? Are you real? Are you really real?" And I'm like, "I think I am." Last night my chat, I'm real. I'm I'm here. I'm real. Real person. She said, "No, are you? Are you a real Christian?" And she was that girl who was out on the street begging. And then she said, "I lied to you, flat out." And I was able, we were able to help her a little bit and lead her to Christ and show her the way of salvation. We must have a faith that is cleansed from hypocrisy. People are looking for something real. Now, just let me go through this quick. I don't want to take a lot of time, but there's a lot of different kind of faiths that these false teachers were bringing into the church. So, real quick, go to 1 Timothy 1, 19. Now, think of this. We're not talking about what's going on in the world. I, I mean, I think for us, we can apply it for what's going on in our schools what's going on in so many of our institutions, what's going on in a lot of churches that have gone away from the Bible. May it not happen here. May we hold to the Word of God and the truth of Jesus. But Paul tells Timothy, again in verse 18, and here's the same word, charge. He says, I charge, this charge I commit unto you, son Timothy. And then in verse 19, he says, holding faith. Again, hold faith, that unhypocritical faith, and a good conscience. So really, these last few verses in the end of chapter 1 kind of go back to what he's saying here in verse 5. And he says, "...which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck." So many people have a shipwrecked faith because they're not true in their, and genuine in their faith in Jesus Christ. They may have a shipwrecked faith. In chapter 4, look what he says. What have some done in reference to the faith? What does it say in First Timothy 4, verse 1? Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall what? Depart from the faith. We see this in our church. People like you have sat here, literally recently, somebody was in our church, and the next week said, I'm leaving this church to go to some false teaching church. Unbelievable, departed from us and from the simplicity of our faith, the faith of Jesus Christ for ritual and tradition, some desert. And Paul was dealing with that through in the Ephesians. He said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. When if you love the world, you'll, you'll leave this church. Paul says in, in another place in 2 Timothy, he says, all of Asia has, has turned away from me. You remember, remember when Paul met the, the elders in Ephesus? They wept over him because they wouldn't see him anymore. They were so sad that they were never going to, Oh, Paul, we love you. We're never going to see you again. Oh, And they cried. Acts chapter 20, you read it. And later on, those people that were weeping tears on his shoulder stabbed him in the back. And then Paul's now saying, Timothy, I want you to go there and fix it. <laughs> Hot water. Some people depart, desert. Other people, it says, look at First Timothy chapter 6. He says, they erred from the faith. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's only one or two people in New York City that probably love money. <laughs> what, I mean, think about it. What motivates people to come to New York? Oh, I love Jesus and I want to serve him. Well, that's what motivated me and um, I believe that's what motivates many of us to stay here. We love Jesus and we want to serve him in our cities. Uh, ultimately, the best way to, to live and move and have being and stay in this city is to be here as a missionary. Now, I know some of you, may you've come no doubt because there's a job here, praise God, and that doesn't mean you love money. We all need money to survive but you're going to be around people that money's their God. And what has to come from you is the love of Jesus Christ. We have something so much better than money because the love of money will lead to many sorrows. That's what the Bible says. And it will lead people to err from the faith. And the last thing here about faith is it overthrows the faith. Second Timothy chapter 2, still in the pastoral epistles, false teachings of the resurrection were overthrowing, were destroying the faith of others. So let's have love. Love freely flows. When we have a heart that's cleansed from sin, when we have a conscience cleansed from guilt, when we have a faith that's cleansed from hypocrisy, as we close, go to 1 Corinthians please, chapter 13. The passage that was read earlier this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I just would like to read this with you as I close this message. I call this the crescendo of love in the in the great love chapter of the Bible 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at verse 7 where Paul says this as he crescendos the actions of love he says love beareth all things you can stay in that situation stay in your marriage and bear all things and let love flow through you no matter how hot that marriage gets Love, he says, believes all things. Believe the Word of God. Believe all the things written in the Word of God. Love hopes all things. Keep your hope in God as you love. Love endures all things. That's love. Let this love flow through you. I'm going to bear. I'm going to believe. I'm going to endure. I'm going to hope. And it says in verse 8, what are the first three words of verse 8? It says, charity. Never. Fails, literally is shipwrecked and falls apart. So may love flow through us in our church. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for the love of Jesus. God, none of us can measure up to Your infinite love, Your everlasting love. But we pray, O Father, that the everlasting love that You have had for Your Son would be in us. That that love, Your love, Father, the love that You have for Your Son from all eternity Would flow through us by your Spirit in us. God, give us love. I know I need a cleansing today, Lord, of selfishness or pride. Take the snake, that spiritual snake of your word, and may your Holy Spirit run through the pipes. Of our hearts right now. Clean out the worldliness, the, the selfish motives. God, strengthen homes with love. Strengthen each person's workplace by their testimony of the love of Christ in them. And strengthen our church with love. How many would you say, Pastor, pray for me? Because love is not freely flowing through me. There's some roots in my life. But I want God's love to flow through a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. Can I see your hand? Just put it up. For the Lord, many hands. With just the piano playing, or if you ladies would like to play and join, why don't we just come to the Lord and pray for revival of love in our church? Let's pray. Could you do that? Could we just come out and just get down here on our knees? We're going to have a revival prayer meeting this Friday. If you can't come especially, make this your revival prayer meeting right now. A two-minute revival prayer meeting. Just step out of your seat. Just come. Let's pray for next week that we would have God's love in a special way at Heritage Baptist Church. We pray that the people you're inviting to the service next week will come. That we will see a great outpouring of visitors to hear the Word of God, to hear about Jesus. We need a revival today. Lord, cleanseth our sins. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us, God, that we haven't loved as you have loved us. But thank you for the cleansing we can have. Thank you, you give us a good conscience. Help our conscience to work aright. Thank you, you've given us it to trust you, to trust you for those things we do not see but yet are written. And we believe, Lord. We believe. But sometimes we cry, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Lord, help. That faith unfeigned, and good conscience and a pure heart would flow. God, help us. Save souls in our church, God. Oh, God, this city is filled with lost people who need You, Lord. We beg You for the salvation of souls. God, we have loved ones. We have family members. We have brothers and sisters. We have children. We have family, we have friends, and they're lost. Maybe they're good people, but they're lost.
0: Oh, God, please work.
1: So now, Lord, we cry to You, Abba, Father. I'm going to ask Sid, come, and we'll sing
0: of seeing the first dance of Abba Father.
1: so if you don't know what 1st timothy chapter 1 verse 5 means you can see me after the service i'll explain it to you again okay (laughs) i hope that made sense and i hope you know what church i thank god for your love you know i preached to you to hold the standard here but i'm preaching you know i'm preaching always to myself because we're just all in the same battle but I thank God for you. I thank God for the love of Christ that you have, your faithfulness. We have a beautiful church family, and I, I marvel at your faith as you live it out for the Lord. And I praise God for the opportunity to be your pastor every day of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this day, and again, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. You said that we would go into all the world, and here we are in the world But not of it, but seeking to serve you and shine for you in this dark world, your great and mighty love. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because someone was not ashamed when they brought the gospel to us. Help us to return those favors, for we are in debt to all men to give them the gospel. So now, Lord, give us a wonderful day. And Lord... By the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word, may your love flow through the faithful ones in our midst today that every person here might know the love of Christ, live the love of Christ, and that your love would be seen in them by others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.